This season of The Ones Who Succeed is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, video editing, entrepreneurship, you name it, they've got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today. Because Skillshare is offering the ones who succeed listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes all for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com succeed. Again, that's Skillshare.com succeed. That link is how they know we, the ones who succeed, send you to start your first two months now. That link is also in the description of this podcast. And a special thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring the show. Welcome back to The Ones Who Succeed. I'm Campbell Barron. So on this week's episode of the show, I talked to well-known venture capitalist Tim Draper. Tim is the second VC we've had on the show. For new listeners of the show, I had former shark and venture capitalist Chris Saka on a few weeks back. And while venture capitalist is Tim's official title, what makes him interesting is that he's used his venture capitalist title as a platform to do much more than that. For example, in 2008, he started a university based on the belief that school isn't doing a good enough job promoting entrepreneurship and creating leaders. Tim also created Hero City, which is a co-working community that promotes innovation, collaboration, and entrepreneurship. As a VC, Tim has been very successful as well. He is an early investor in companies like Tesla, SpaceX, Skype, Patreon, Twitch, Hotmail, Indiegogo, and many others. There are many VCs out there, but there aren't many who can say they created a university, a co-working space, and supported and encouraged entrepreneurship along the way. That's why I wanted to meet with Tim. Hi, my name is Campbell Barron, and I'm a 15-year-old entrepreneur and content creator from Toronto, Canada. And you are listening to my podcast, The Ones Who Succeed where each week I meet with inspiring individuals and talk to them about their journey to success. You're schooled to be a follower. You're schooled to stay safe. You're not schooled to take risks. You're not schooled to take that first step to do something extraordinary. You're not schooled to go running into the fire to save the people that are in the fire. Hear their stories, experiences, and firsthand what it took to succeed in their field. Why am I doing this? Because I want to learn from the ones who succeed. And you can too. So Tim and I met in October of 2018 at Hero City in San Mateo, California. San Mateo is a city in Silicon Valley, just south of San Francisco and north of Palo Alto. Hero City, which is Tim's office and his co-working space, is right across from a big hotel-looking building, 
with the words Draper University spelled out in big letters on the side of the structure. Tim and I met in a conference room in Hero City at 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And my conversation with him starts at the very beginning, his childhood. What were you like as a kid? Um, I loved sports. I, um, and I also loved, uh, I kind of loved life. I liked uh, science a lot. I liked math. Math was easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, um, I had a very free and open childhood because, uh, we, after school, there was after school sports. And so we'd hang out after that and get to know each other and figure out what the world was all about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had, a, then I would kind of meander home and my mother always would just say, you know, get home before the sun goes down. And then uh, I was somewhat entrepreneurial, and I loved, loved board games. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things. And when you mentioned you were somewhat entrepreneurial, can you just describe, what do you mean by that? So, uh, well, when I was about nine, I picked apples and sold them on the street. And, uh, and over the course of about three weeks or something, I sold enough apples to make $8.00. And I was with, uh, occasionally some friends would come by and say something or another and help me. Um, and my next door neighbor's mother came over and said, well, so how much money have you made? And I said, $8. And she said, okay, who's helped you? And she went around and she handed everybody, she handed me $1.00. And each of all these other people who helped me, one dollar. Yeah. And then she took two dollars with her. And I thought, what? And that was my first exposure to socialism. And I did not like it one bit. So uh, I, it, that was one thing. And then I, I created something called the Traveling Oyster Show when I was about 19. And I went up and bought oysters from the source uh, right where there's a, this bay with all these oysters in them. And, uh, and then I delivered them to people I, um, door to door. Yeah. And that was a fabulous job. Uh, turned out I made about a dollar 25 an hour when I did all the math, but, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, so fun and exciting and interesting, um, to go and, and then I then I started to do pre-orders. I'd get a whole bunch of pre-orders during the week, and then I'd go make one delivery in um, on Fridays, and yeah. I'd make that delivery. And there was this one time I delivered them to this woman, and she said, well, how do they go in the microwave? And at that time, microwaves were kind of a new thing. Yeah. And I said, oh, they're fantastic. I, you know, here, let's try it. And I put the microwave in her I mean, I put the oyster in her microwave and we sat and we hit the button. We sat and watched. And after about 30 seconds, the whole thing exploded <laughs> into her microwave oven. And it was just, it smelled, it was awful. And uh, she was good sport. She bought two dozen oysters and she said, I probably won't microwave them. <laughs> um, so let's fast track a little bit um, past your childhood. How did you get into venture capital? So my grandfather was the first venture capitalist in the Silicon Valley, and my father was also a venture capitalist. And so that was kind of the last thing I wanted to do was be a venture capitalist. But then I, um, when I went to business school, 
I started to think I was going to be an entrepreneur and I came up with four, four different ideas for what kind of a business I would want to be in. And I wasn't willing to commit to any of the four. And I realized that maybe I was wired to be a venture capitalist so that I, I could diversify my risk. Yeah. Um, a true entrepreneur is willing to take that full risk with their full body and soul mm-hmm. and do the one thing. And I wasn't. So Tim got into venture capital and borrowed money from the USBIC program, the United States Business and Industry Council, to invest money and start his venture capital career. And we, I got going and I almost had lost all that money after three years. And I had to go fly back to the SBIC program and, and beg them not to call the loan because I had a lot of interesting companies in yeah. there. And uh, they didn't, so I, but I was on their dirt list. They called it their dirt list. And then um, in 1991, that was in 85, in 91, uh, five companies went public all at once. And uh, I went from their dirt list to a big picture on their wall, venture capitalist of the year, yeah. SBIC venture capitalist of the year. Awesome. So your your fortunes can come and go and rise and fall and you have to be open to the idea that uh, just sticking with it uh, usually pays off. So how did you find these companies you wanted to invest in? Um, To start with, I went and I knocked on doors of new construction projects. Okay. So I'd see where there's a new construction project and I'd see something software. And that was enough for me to sort of go, okay, I'm going to go knock on this door. I remember actually knocking on uh, Intuit's door, okay. wanting to get into Intuit, and mm-hmm. the receptionist brushed me away and said, no solicitors, go away, go away. And I was, I was thinking, God, I'm in a coat and tie and I'm offering money, and this woman is just driving me out. Um, it was a very, I guess it was in downtown Palo Alto and there were a lot of um, vagrants wandering around, and so, she just wanted to protect them. <laughs> it's too bad, though. I, I would have funded them, and they would have made me some money. Uh, so anyway, that's how I found them to start with. Today, I have deal flow coming from all different walks of life. They sure, it's come not that through, uh, Come through the, all my press experiences, uh, through our school, Draper University right. Bureau, through our incubator, all of our network And then uh, I've had the same email uh, for about 20-something years, and so it has piled up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people know people who are starting businesses, and they refer them to me. When we return, how the 2008 recession led to Tim creating a university designed for entrepreneurs all over the globe. This is The Ones Who Succeed. I'm Campbell Barron. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsor. This season of The Ones Who Succeed is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, video editing, entrepreneurship, you name it, they've got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. 
So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today because Skillshare is offering the first 250 people who click the link in the description two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes all for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com succeed. Again, that's Skillshare.com succeed to start your first two months now. And a special thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this season. Welcome back to the program. I'm Campbell Barron. So far in the story, Tim has placed various bets on a bunch of different startups, and many of them have paid off. But Tim decided he wasn't done and wanted to take on a new challenge. And that new challenge was Draper University. Here's more on that. In 2008, uh, the markets crashed. And, you know, and I look, I look at, oppor- at times like that as opportunities for heroism, yeah. for people to become heroes. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and I thought, there are not enough heroes. People aren't really creating anything around this amazing opportunity. Yeah. I mean, opportunity crisis. It was a crisis. It right. was an opportunity. And I thought, What's, what are we doing wrong? And I thought back about how I was schooled and how people have been schooled. You're schooled to be a follower. You're schooled to stay safe. You're not schooled to take risks. You're not schooled to take that first step to do something extraordinary. You're not schooled to go f- running into the fire to save the people that are in the fire. Right. Instead, you're schooled to, to run away from the fire and be safe. Um, so I decided I would create a, the school for the heroes, for the ones who would lead the people who were sitting in the classroom doing exactly the same thing and, and playing it safe. And, uh, and I went through the uh, checklist of all the things I had to do to be an accredited university. And uh, and I decided to do the opposite. So all these things, like an A means you didn't make any mistakes. We decide to give you points if you do extraordinary things. If you try something extraordinary, whether you win or lose, trying something extraordinary gets you points. So basically, Draper University rewards their students for thinking outside the box, whether you win or lose a very different way of educating and encouraging big ideas. And at the end, uh, they're, they're planning and drive. First, they have to ideate. They have to come up with an idea. And then they have to plan a business. And then they have to challenge themselves with that business and see if the business model is going to work. Are they going to make money? All that. And then, uh, and then at the end, they do a two-minute presentation to a panel of venture capitalists. Some of them get funding, and uh, we've had a few enormous successes. So it's, um, it's working. It's only five weeks in the summer or four months in the fall. And you got to be 18, sorry. you got to be 18 or older to, get, to go there. Um, but uh, it has really changed a lot of lives. And people are kind of coming out of there going, whoa, I learned more here in five weeks than I did at four years at Stanford. So that kind of thing is coming up quite a bit. So you felt like Draper, you feel like Draper University was created out of the belief that the regular school system isn't doing a good enough job to promote entrepreneurship. 
part of it was that part of it was uh, that the typical school system is not creating heroes. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're not creating people who are willing to lead a revolution, willing to try something new, be separated from their peers in some way and feel comfortable in that position. There, there are not, um, there are very few schools that are willing to tolerate any kind of failure. And we, in our pledge, we say, I will fail and fail again until I succeed. First part of the pledge is I will promote freedom at I've all costs. That. Yeah. But um, we want the students to realize that they can take a chance. They can go, uh, you know, do something. You know, in, in our egg drop, one group uh, created a hot air balloon with fire, you know. It was fire in the, in the dorm. Mm -hmm. And we thought that that was great. You know, if the place caught on fire, we thought, well, it's made of concrete. It'll probably last. So were there any particular challenges you faced while building Draper University that you can remember? Oh, yeah, there were huge challenges. Um, the first thing was turning this hotel into a school. Uh, what I didn't realize is if you buy commercial property, you think you own it. Yeah. But the town really owns it. The mm -hmm. town really decides what it is you're allowed to do with it. I had to throw three events and explain to many townspeople what I was doing. And then all those townspeople came and fought me and tried to make sure that this thing didn't happen. And before we were here, by the way, that, that hotel was boarded up for eight years. It was completely old and boarded up and nobody was living there except for some vagrants. And we're and we're sort of thinking, well, wait a second, really? You'd rather have just like a four or five vagrants living in this or instead of like a, yeah. a full school of activity and whatever. And uh, and then uh, we went through the town council meetings and the building commission and the, it was rough. And then we finally got the approval and I thought, well, um, now we got to get some students. So I went and I, I sent out a blast and I said, we'll take them for five weeks for free, four weeks for free. Really? And so the first time it was all free. And then I said, uh, and then all of a sudden we got all these applications and I went, Whoa, you know, we got, <laughs> now we got to choose them. So we choose a bunch of them, we chose about 40. And then with those 40 students, um, we thought, well, now we got to create a curriculum. And so that's where we came up with things like, okay, we're going to break them into eight teams of five. We're going to um, put them through all sorts of a rigorous yeah. program. They're going to come out being heroes. That's the whole goal. We're going to have them meet, speak, listen to some of the greatest entrepreneurs of the world. And at the end, we're going to have them pitch, a, pitch their business. So they all arrived the first day, and then the next morning they all woke up, because it's a boarding yeah. school. They all woke up and flushed their toilets and ran their showers, and this building had been dormant for eight years. The whole place flooded. <sighs> really? And so as people were coming, the other people who came the next day yeah. were coming in, I was saying, welcome to Draper University, here's your plunger. <laughs> And then we had to rebuild the place and we had construction going on while the school was going on. 
it was pandemonium, but it was really fun. And uh, the students seemed to love it. And yeah. so after that, we started charging uh, tuition and uh, we tried lots of different things in tuition uh, because when you're 18 to 28 years old, you're broke. Yeah. You, you don't, your parents paid for your, you know, schooling until then, but then now you're broke. Yeah. And, uh, and so some people were able to, to do Indiegogo campaigns or whatever to get money. Hustle. Some went and hustled it up and figured it out. Um, others, uh, paid me in Bitcoin. Really? And that turned, I hope they they felt their education was worth the yeah, half million bucks that they ended up paying me. <laughs> we don't really know what works yet, but, uh, we know the school works. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen many entrepreneurs succeed and many fail. What are some of the common character traits between the ones who succeed? Ones who succeed are totally into what they're doing. And it doesn't matter what it is. They could be uh, radio. They could be podcasters. Yeah. They could be um, scientists. They could be athletes. They could be totally into uh, ants or uh, space or um, healthcare or whatever. But if they have this real feeling like I've got a mission in my life, I've got this thing I'm good at, mm -hmm. and this is, this is something I really want to uh, pursue, uh, those tend to be the best entrepreneurs. Somebody who's really got a, a desire and drive in some direction. Now, some people at your age, yeah. you might have interests in lots of things, and you should. That's, that's a good thing. And it's a great thing because yeah. you're going to want to, whatever you get yourself into, you're going to want to take from all the other experiences you've had. Yeah. And they're all going to be valuable. Mm -hmm. um, I would spend a lot of time generally with people. I would go and, people and things, do both. Um, with people, ask them, what they're doing, what's up, what's their thing, you know, kind of understand what everybody's thing is. And then you start understanding how the world kind of comes together. I, I, whenever you're on an airplane, make sure, or a bus or a train, make sure, or an Uber driver, make sure you ask, what do you do? What's your, you know, yeah, what's your thing? What's your thing? You know, you're an Uber driver sometimes, but you're also doing whatever else. So, um, explore the world. It's a wonderful world. Travel if you can. All those things. My last question for you is, you're a really busy guy, and you're doing a lot right now. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? So, um, I'm 60 now, and I have uh, not completed all my missions. So, I feel like I'm working that much harder now because my life missions are not complete. Mm -hmm. My goal was to, my initial goal was to spread entrepreneurship and venture capital around the world. And that's still my mission. It hasn't really changed. But the, the final years are going to be slower years where I may not have it in me to push something through that I can push through today. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in a very strong position to influence 
large populations, and so I'm going to use it now. Right. They won't care about me when I'm 85. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate your time. And, uh, My pleasure. It. Great. I'm looking forward to seeing how all this comes. I want to subscribe. Get everybody. Go subscribe to his podcast. Thank you, Tim. Awesome. <laughs> I appreciate right. it. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Thank you for listening to my interview with Tim Draper. One thing before you go, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could leave us a positive review because it helps more listeners find the show. If you listen somewhere else, not on Apple Podcasts, but still want to help us out, then share this show with a friend or family member. Two friends, two family members, the number of friends and family members is up to you. All you need to know is that if you share this show, it helps more people learn from the ones who succeed. So you are pretty much doing a good deed. That rhymes, by the way. As well, there's also a shorter form video interview out now on our YouTube channel. You can see what Tim looks like. You can see what I look like. You can see what San Mateo and Hero City look like. It's pretty much a guaranteed good time. That is all on our YouTube channel. You can check that out by searching www.bit.ly slash succeed YouTube. There is no capitals in that URL, by the way. Or by typing in the ones who succeed in the YouTube search bar. This show is produced by me and my mom, Lily Yerkstevich. Our theme music is by Alta, and our ad music is by Andrew Snilson. Additional tunes by Holly Marr. Our executive producer is Robert Barron, and special thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring the show. As well, special thanks to Lily Yerkstevich, Robert Barron, Sophia Yerkstevich, Jackie Burns, Steph Matisse, Karen Mostis, and of course, Tim Draper. I am Campbell Barron. Here are some scenes from next week's episode of The Ones Who Succeed. Next week, I chat with Rich Pearson, the co-founder and CEO of the popular meditation app Headspace. That being said, the early days of Headspace weren't so zen. You're scared that you're always going to go out of business and you're never going to be able to pay people's wages. But that, that is just, you're, you live with that constant fear the whole time in those early days. Is it going to work? Are we going to survive? Is it going to work? Like, you're just doing that. Rich Pearson is on next week's episode of The Ones Who Succeed.